Well, it is a blessing to be with you. As I said, I, uh, I'm grateful that God kept this appointment that was made a year ago. I appreciate your pastor and uh, the chance to spend some time with him today and his wife and some of the other staff members. Um, it's always a blessing. One of my favorite things to do as a, as a missionary is to get some, spend some time with the pastor um, because it helps me to understand his heart and uh, his heartbeat. And, uh, and certainly I, I, I can see his enthusiasm, but I appreciate just the opportunity we've had to spend some time together and certainly to be with you folks tonight. I, I did fail to mention, and I'll mention a couple of things before I get started. If you have an opportunity, and I'd love to spend some time getting to know you a little bit, get to meet you, do, do come by our table out here in the foyer as you're, as you're leaving this evening and uh, speak to us. Especially maybe if you know somebody that's in the military, maybe you've got a family member that's serving, if we could be a help in that regard, we, we keep track of churches near bases, and sometimes it can be a one-on-one help like that, but sometimes it can be other ways. We, we do have some prayer cards. I got around and was able to share these with some of you, but uh, if, you're, if you're into prayer cards and putting them somewhere in your Bible or on the refrigerator or wherever you put it, I'd encourage you to take one of those. If, if prayer cards isn't your thing... Then, uh, then I came prepared for that tonight. There's a little chest out there, a little patriotic chest, and it's got little toy soldiers in it. And so the kids have already been out there. In fact, one's asked me how many he could take. I had to give him an appetite suppressant until after the service. Some people ask me, why do you, why do you put those out there? And it isn't so that dad's, when he's up getting a snack at 2 o'clock in the morning, he'll step on it like a Lego and go, where did that come from? I'm not responsible for that. I, I, I pass liability for that immediately. But, uh, you know, I hear people talk about the fact that, that they're praying for our military. They pray for them to be safe. You know, you hear about them going to Eastern Europe because of Ukraine, or you hear them going to Afghanistan or Iraq or wherever they might be going, or maybe just on a, a training mission somewhere, and folks you know, praying for their safety. And, and I appreciate that. That's a great reason to pray for them. But, I, but I've heard people make sentiments even like I'm sending up good thoughts. And I think, where do you think that's going to go? How far do you think that's going to go? Because that's their concept of prayer. And so when I'm in a a church like this, a church that that believes this book is true, where people have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and have access to the throne of God, then it's folks like that that I want to know about this particular little reminder. And so when you see that soldier, when your young person sees that soldier, you're son or daughter or grandchild, if you want to take one, or if you want one yourself, adults like to take them sometimes too, pray for them. And you can pray for their safety, that's certainly fine with me, but would you pray for their spiritual needs? Would you pray for them to come to know Christ? Would you pray for them to find a ministry, a Bible study where they're serving? Some of the, some of the most difficult conversations I have and are with grandmothers. Grandmothers of a grandson or granddaughter that's serving somewhere far away that seems to be straying from what they grew up knowing, learning, believing. And they're just asking God to intervene in some way. And uh, we believe that it's worth trying to be a part of the answer to a prayer like that. And so would you pray that what we and others that are trying to reach him would be successful. I hope that'll be helpful to you. Well, I thought I was going to share something with you, a little bit of what I shared with the teens this morning in the chapel, but God has taken me someplace else tonight 
And uh, this might seem unlikely given the timing, but maybe I'll help you understand more of why I believe God took me there. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 28. Yes, I know you just had a missions conference here. Because our church does theirs in October as well. And yet, here we are, what, not even a month hardly since you had your conference. Let me, let me take you where I was two years ago. So two years ago, our conference is in early October. And I'm sitting in that conference. It was a great conference. Um, like maybe you were sitting in yours, hearing some great messages, hear, learning about some new ministries, and, uh, and praying about what God would have us do for faith promise. And so God's always been good about helping to make that clear, and, and, and He did. And we made a commitment, and I thought we were done. And then three weeks later, everything changed. Because what I found out was, God was only starting what He wanted to do in that missions conference that what he wanted to continue to do, at least in my life, in our family, was to take another step to be involved in something else. And I I don't know what it's like for you. I I can only speak for myself here. But I love our missions conference. It is the key event on the calendar for our church. It's an exciting time in the life of our church. Because I believe God's excited about missions. He's excited about people hearing about Jesus Christ. And, and imagine that we get to be involved in something that's worldwide, that God's involved with. That's exciting stuff. And so I can get pretty fired up in a conference like that. But then as time passes, it's like, it's like that balloon that you got on your birthday that was all the way up to the ceiling on Monday. And by Tuesday, it's down about six inches. And by Wednesday, it's down about three feet. And by Friday, it's almost all the way down to the floor. At least in my life, sometimes I find that it is easy, if I'm not careful, to lose sight of what God was speaking to my heart about, what God was challenging me with, about the way I need to be thinking about something that is His heartbeat. And I ought to be thinking about that all the time that way, not just during that particular period of time. And so I'd like for us to look at a few verses surrounding what we know to be the Great Commission. And you know from this passage that Matthew 28 falls on the heels of Jesus' resurrection. So it's a, it's a fairly challenging time in the life of the disciples. They have seen things. They have misunderstood or questioned things. They've doubted things. They've struggled with things. They've been afraid And then the ladies go to the tomb. The messenger is there to say, what are you you looking for Jesus for? He's not here. As a matter of fact, he's, he's risen. And as they head back, go tell the disciples. As they head back, they have an encounter with Christ. We read about it in the early part of Matthew chapter 28. And he tells them, go tell them to go to the place where I've told them to meet me. And so they they go with that message. And at the time that's going on, a real buzz, as we would say today, there's there's another situation developing. In verses 11 to 15, we we read about the fact that the, the guards come before the chief scribes and Pharisees. 
And you know from the description of those guys, I mean, they were like dead men when this happened. They were so afraid of what happened when when the tomb rolled open. And, And of course, the Jesus they were supposed to be keeping in the tomb, now it's wide open and he's not there. And so they tell that story to the chief scribes and Pharisees, and they can't, they can't accept that story. They can't let that story get out. And so they do what we've been doing ever since. We watch it every day. We hear it every day in the media. It's called Spin Doctor. And they said, okay, you may think that's what happened, but that's not really what we're going to tell people what happened. You're going to tell people they came and took him. His followers came and took his body. Do you have any questions? Repeat after me. His followers came and took his body. And here is a great deal of money to help you remember that. And scripture says that that story was so good. It was so convincing. They still believe it till today. Imagine that. Imagine a story that's that good. That's how good our enemy is at trying to convince people from the truth. And so in the midst of all that, we find ourselves at the passage I'm going to begin reading in the last five verses, beginning in verse number 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when he saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo... I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Tonight, as we look at a passage which may be as familiar to you as any passage in Scripture, I'm going to ask you to consider some mindsets that we're going to evaluate and use Scripture to be a mirror in your life and say, which one describes me? Which one describes me? Let's pray, and then we'll look at it more closely. Father, thank you for your truth. God, we thank you that no matter how many times we look at your truth, it still is living. And Lord, you can minister to our hearts and minds in our lives with it. I pray you do that tonight in each one of our lives in the life of this church. Lord, glorify yourself by your spirit. Lead us, guide us, help our time to be profitable for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. In the military, we love to talk about missions. You know, not the term like you talk about missions, but it's about accomplishing the mission. That's what it's all about. In fact, in the Army, we, we, we used to say, because we wanted to sound politically correct, uh, mission first, people always. I can tell you what it really was. It was mission first, and you people are going to do the mission, and we're going to do the best we can to prepare you for it, but it's gonna, we're going to do whatever it takes to accomplish the mission. And some of you who have been in the military, you, you know what that's like. You know what that can cost. Um, I certainly saw it over my time. This, for us, is really what Jesus is offering to us. As the church, as believers, our mission. The thing that we need to do. And oftentimes, we find ourselves most commonly focusing on the last half of the verses that I read. Uh, the, the mindset that I'm going to refer to tonight as the doer's where he tells them those tasks we're all familiar with. Maybe you spoke about them during your missions conference. That we are supposed to go and proclaim and baptize and teach. 
We know all those terms. I wonder what those terms mean to us day to day. I wonder how they impact our lives. You know, when you think about the idea of going, it isn't what you're doing right now. You're listening. You're sitting. You'll be going soon out that back door and wherever it is you're going to go. But when we think about go, there's movement, there's activity, there's motion associated with it. And that is what is supposed to be happening in the life of the church as it accomplishes the Great Commission. And it's interesting to me, I believe that going first has to start with a burden. You will go to the dentist because of the pain in your mouth. You'll go to the doctor because of the pain in your arm or your heart or whatever it is. You will reach out to a family member with a call, with a visit, with a meal. You'll do it for another member in the church because you're burdened for them. What is your burden? What is my burden with this idea of going related to the gospel? Who is your burden? What is their name? What do they look like? You know, tonight we prayed for the Gormans, and I appreciate that. I love the Gormans. They're a wonderful family. And they've, they've had a tough time with his mom. And we've been praying for her. And, and I find... Even one of my daughters had to go see, a, go see a doctor today about something very concerning. Praise the Lord, we got a good report. But we were burdened to pray for her when we found about, out about this yesterday. And it comes to mind a lot. And as I was reflecting on that today, I thought, how many times have I prayed today for someone I know that needs the gospel? Am I even aware that much about somebody who needs the gospel? Is it somebody at work? Is it somebody in my neighborhood? Is it somebody in my family? Am I as urgent before them as I would be about my daughter who had this medical need? Or the Gorman's, John Gorman's mom and what's going on with her? Or another one of our missionaries in our board? Is there somebody that you care that much about? We say, well, does it matter that much? I mean, that's why we pay missionaries like you. That's why we pay the staff to do what they do. I don't know if you ever heard the name C.T. Studd before, a missionary of yesteryear. Some refer to him as the the cavalry of the Missionary Corps. And uh, the reason they did that is because in his day, long before you could Google anything, long before you knew much about any of these places, the idea of going to a faraway place like Africa or India or China I mean, those were just unheard of ideas. I mean, you could go there and never come back again, never even be heard again from again, potentially. And yet he would go and serve in all of those places. And he he offers an interesting observation as, as one of those missionaries out on the field that you pray for, that you support, as he looks back this way. He said that the light that shines the farthest... Light meaning the gospel message and its impact. Would would you say that you want the gospel message and the impact 
of this church to shine far? I, I would imagine you would say that you do. The light that shines the farthest shines the brightest nearest home. It's hard for, for us to get burdened for other people to reach Christ somewhere else when we're not even burdened to reach Christ wherever we are. And so, it's hard for me to get up off the couch or to get on my phone or get out in my car and drive over and talk to somebody if I'm not even burdened enough to pray for them. And so, here we are, a month removed from your missions conference, maybe not even that. I have no idea how God burdened you related to the gospel. But my question would be, are you doing anything differently now than you were in November of last year? Did something happen this year in October at the missions conference and God burdened your heart to do something and are you doing it? And if he didn't burden your heart and it needs to be burdened, then maybe he'll burden it tonight or he'll burden it some other way. But if we have no burden in our heart for the gospel... We need to look to God and ask Him to stir our hearts. It is easy to get distracted and get involved in so many other ways. And it is to get excited when we think about go. We do think about people going globally. Like the Gormans, they're in in Colorado Springs. My son, that's in Cambodia. And you've got missionaries, I don't even know who all yours are. I dare say probably on all the continents, probably in the world. That's what we think about when we think about going. Do you realize you have a a, a key investment in that? I mean, part of it is this faith promise commitment, the missions commitment you made to God that you believe He would have you be a part of. And I don't know if you do it here weekly, if you do it monthly, I don't know how you do it, and I'm not trying to prime. My question where there would be, you get to be involved in going globally too. How committed, how burdened are you for that? Has that faith promise turned into promise? Has it showed up? Are you committed to it showing up next week and next month and the month after that? Are you really burdened for that to continue? It's easy to get excited about things. But we're all adults in here. You know, when kids go to camp and they get all fired up, we get excited for them, but we understand. They're young, and there's a lot going on in their lives, and it's a very focused time, and it's not really life, it's camp. But we live life. And we have to deal with all the things that come, and yet God still stirs our heart to do something greater. And the God that stirs our heart to to do it greater can enable us to do it greater. And it isn't just our giving. You know, I encourage you to go by and take one of our prayer cards. And you're welcome to sign up for our prayer letter as well. And and just hear from us occasionally. I promise we're not telemarketers. You You won't get any other emails from us. I love that your church highlights a missionary here every Wednesday night. And you pray for them specifically. That's a gift. But I would imagine probably information is available so that you could pray for other folks even more frequently if you wanted to. Has God burdened you, maybe because of the conference, maybe because of the missionaries that were here, 
Maybe for some other reason to pray for a specific missionary, to pray for a specific continent, to help your children or your grandchildren get that same kind of a burden, that same kind of a vision, that you can be involved and get a burden for this. You might say, I don't want to do that because if I start getting my kids praying about Africa, next thing I know, they're going to want to go to Africa. Well, my child went to Cambodia and he survived it already so far. He's been sick. Yeah, he's been sick. But they're there serving the Lord, planning a church, and and we're grateful for it. God will take care of all that kind of stuff. Are you at least burdened enough to pray for those who are going? And how faithful do you want to be in that? Or maybe, I don't know. I mean, I'm a grandfather of 10. I was a couple years from retirement, retirement. And God said... Not so fast. I wonder, I wonder if in here, or maybe in, in the life of one of your young people, God didn't spark something that he wants to come to light. Are you open to that? Are you as open as you might have been at a great message during the missions conference when you say, Lord, I don't know how you could use me, but if you would, go ahead. Are you still that available? Have you ever prayed that for your children or for your grandchildren? God, if you would call them, we'll trust you. We'll support them. You know what the hardest thing is for me to find? It isn't supporting churches. It isn't people interested in military ministry. It's laborers. I I work with directors of other missions agencies. You know what their biggest difficulty was? I was just at a conference with 30 of them. And every one of them will tell you the same thing. Where where are the laborers? Where are they? You could pray that way. Even if you don't pray for the missionaries that are on the field, pray for the missionaries that need to be on the field. And pray that God might even be willing to use someone from your church. Maybe someone from your family. It's an exciting thing when a church gets to send out a missionary. You want to bless your pastor's heart? You want to bless the life of this church? Pray that God would call out a a faithful servant from here to go serve him full time on the mission field or in any other capacity. Pray for that. It's interesting here. We won't have time for all of them. But one of the things he talks about doing here is baptizing. You think, well, that's not my job. That's the pastor's job. And, And it is the pastor that's going to be doing that baptizing or in churches and other places. But you... You know, it interests me that he talks about going, he talks about proclaiming the gospel, he talks about, in verse number 20, about teaching them, discipling them, but he puts baptizing there in there, and you're thinking, uh, yeah, it doesn't seem to be on par, at least at first glance it might not. And I think in part it's because in the, in the, where we live, I don't know what it's like in your church, but if we have a baptismal service in our church, and some young people are getting baptized, we see grandparents... We see aunts and uncles that don't come to our church. They're from someplace else. They came into town just to watch little Junior get baptized. Everybody gets fired up about a baptism here in the U.S. My son is a missionary in Cambodia. Nobody gets fired up about baptisms in families in Cambodia. It's bad enough if you're willing to take a step towards Christ. That's bad enough. 
Because it's a Buddhist. We say we're a Christian nation. We don't even understand what religion in our nation means. They're a Buddhist nation. Everything revolves around religion. And so as soon as you start straying from that at all, you cut ties. But they'll kind of tolerate it if you're just going to a church service every once in a while. It'll, it'll impact you, I assure you, your livelihood. It'll impact your relationships. But if you want to kill every relationship you have, get baptized. That's when you are dead to those people who used to know you. And they'll have nothing to do with you anymore. Because now you have made a public statement that I will follow Christ. Why is it important that young people get baptized? Well, we want them to obey the command of Jesus Christ, but we want them to have the courage to take a stand. We want them to take a stand. And you should pray for your missionaries that are in countries where that is a very, very difficult thing. An unusual aspect of it that oftentimes we don't give thought to. Doing. Well, there's another mindset that's introduced here that I want us to think about for a few moments. Because sometimes this is the one that's more concerning to me. The 11 disciples in verse number 16 have gone into this mountain in Galilee to meet Jesus. That's the place he appointed them to meet. And it says in verse number 17 that Jesus shows up there. And they saw him, it said. Now, can you imagine that? We've read this. I've read it way too many times. I cannot appreciate, even if I'd read it the first time, I don't think what it would have been like to have been one of the disciples that watched everything that happened, that saw that confusion, and then all of a sudden, they've been told he's risen, and they go to this place, and he shows up. I mean, I can't even imagine how easy it was to roll into the next couple verses there where it says, and they worshipped him. That was a worship service. There was some serious worship going on there, glorifying God Thanking God that Christ was who he said he was. That he rose from the dead. Talk about a spiritual high. And then, look at the next few verses at the end of verse number 17. In the midst of this, all this excitement, it says, but some did what? They doubted. These are disciples we're talking about. It doesn't tell us why they doubted. It just tells us that some did. It reminds me that even mature believers, those who have been around Christ, those who know what is right, know what is true, have heard the teachings, they can still struggle with doubt sometimes when they've been asked to do something that's really challenging to do. Now, I don't know what you think about doubters. I was in the military for a long time. And when I was a battalion commander, the worst thing I, one of the worst things I, I would experience would be in the middle of a mission brief, and we're going out to do something, and it's really complicated, and, and every, you know, there's a lot of factors going on, and you finish the brief, and you allow an opportunity for questions, and back there is some naysayer going, ah, sir, what if the weather gets worse? Or what if the winds increase and we run out of fuel? Or what if the infantry, you know? And I just want to take that guy and have him escorted out the door. Bring me in another volunteer. I don't have time for someone who's doubting what we're getting ready to do. That's how I would respond to a doubter. And sometimes I think as believers, we, we think that's what's happening when we're doubting things. We're thinking, oh, God, you got no use for me. 
You don't want to talk to me. You don't have anything important for me to do. Because I, I, I said I was going to do it, but now I'm not so sure. And this is going on and that's going on. I'm not sure I can do it. But is that how Jesus responded to them? Did he go, what's wrong with you guys? I'm here. It's me. It's Jesus. See? It's me. I rose from the dead. How could you doubt? What's wrong with you? That's not what he said at all. That's what Kevin probably would have said. But look how Jesus handled doubt, because it's very instructive to us. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. When we're doubting, when we're struggling, he stands ready to minister to us in our point of doubt. To remind us that he has the power, he has the authority, he is with us And he's going to share power. We're going to be able to do things because it isn't about what we can do. It never has been about what we can do. It's about what he is able to do. Do you realize that tonight? Maybe shortly removed from your missions conference and already maybe you you missed a faith promise. Maybe you said you were going to pray every day for a missionary and you missed five days. Maybe you said you were going to do something else and you missed something. And pretty soon we let that stuff feed on us and we just quit. And we need to remind ourselves that Jesus, our God, he's right there waiting just for us to come back. And he's just going to minister to us and help us, give us the help, the power, the strength that we need. Jesus reminds them again in verse number 20 towards the end. He says, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the earth. I'm not exactly sure why God brought us here tonight to this passage. But I know about doubt. I know about doubt as a believer. I know about making great promises and maybe not keeping them as much as I wanted to, but I know that God wants to bring us right back on track again. And He wants to keep us there. And I believe that's exactly what God wants in my life. He wants in your life. He wants in the life of this church and its ministry impact. You'll do great things for for God, not because you're great, but because he's great. And so if you're struggling a little bit with doubt tonight, maybe related to this or related to something else, would you give that to God? Would you move past the doubt and get back to being a doer again? That's what God wants us all to be. That's what he's able to do great things with. And those are the kind of people he can do great things through. God help us as we consider the work that he's called us to do to not give in to doubt, but instead to be reminded that our great God is with us wheresoever we're going to go. Pastor.